Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Psalm chapter 4. Um, if you're, as you're turning there, let me just kind of set the context here. Um, really briefly, uh, many believe that Psalm chapter 4 and Psalm chapter 3 actually form a single unit. Uh, they're connected. Uh, the Psalm chapter 3 is known as a morning psalm, uh, and Psalm chapter 4 is known as an evening psalm because in Psalm chapter 3, Verse 5, it says, I lay down and slept. I woke up again, for the Lord sustains me. But in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. And so there's an evening uh, aspect there. And so a lot of commentators and theologians believe that it's, they're kind of a package here. Also, they believe that Psalm 3 and 4 are referring to the same occasion uh, that Psalm 3 was, was referring to last week. Last week, if you remember, I spoke on uh, David running from his son Absalom. Uh, his son Absalom revolted against him, grabbed a th- thousands of people to go against David, and so David's on a run fleeing. And so a lot of uh, interpreters believe that if these two are connected, then Psalm 4 also is about um, David running from his uh, son Absalom, along with thousands of people who are chasing after him to, to kill him. Uh, other interpreters, which I don't think it's the best interpretation, believe that David in Psalm 4 is going through a famine. There's some type of famine or drought because of verse 7 in chapter 4. It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. But I just don't think it's referring to a specific, as we will go through the passage, I don't think it's refer- referring to a famine or a drought, I think it's really referring to David running from his son, Absalom. Also, last week, I mentioned that as we go through the Psalms, as even you're reading the Psalms in your own time, that many times we're not going to be able to identify with uh, the specific situation that is um, going on in that chapter or the specific context for that chapter. However, we can identify with the pain they're feeling or the questions they have or what we can identify with those things. So I just want to make sure that, uh, that you're aware of that, that like in this passage, we, we're not going to be able to identify of, uh, you know, with David as far as running from thousands and thousands of people who want to kill us. We, we might not be able to identify, right? But we can identify with how he feels and some of the, the ways that he's struggled through this situation, this very difficult situation. So um, with that said, I just want to jump into first, uh, chapter 4. We'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. It says this. It says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts. 
Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. We have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, this is your word, and we honor it, and we honor you, and we are thankful that you have decided to communicate with us clearly through your word. God, I pray that today you would encourage those of us who are in a season of hardship and turmoil and distress and anxiety. May you comfort us. May you give us hope. May you give us peace. May we leave a lot different than how we entered. May we place our gaze and our eyes upon you, O Lord. You're the one that makes us dwell in safety. God, speak to us by your word and illuminate us through your Holy Spirit. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Charles Spurgeon has a very famous quote, and it goes like this. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. And isn't that true? The power that anxiety has to empty the strength that we have for today. And not only to empty the strength that we have for today, but also it empties our joy for today. It empties our peace for today. It empties our hope for today today. Anxiety is a very powerful thing in the life of a believer, in the life of anyone in general. And I believe that if the enemy can't get you to wander from the faith, if the enemy can't get you to wander from God, he will get you to worry. He will try to get you to worry because he knows that when there's worry and anxiety, he can debilitate you in so many ways, especially in our spiritual lives. When we take our focus and our gaze off of Christ, off of God, and onto our problems and onto our circumstances, he knows we will worry. He knows we will become anxious. And again, he will empty us of our strength, joy, peace, and hope. And so today we're going to be examining how David dealt with anxiety as he ran for his life, as he's in the desert, as he's in the wilderness, running from his son, running from thousands of people who are trying to take his life. And so we're going to take a journey through Psalm 4 and see how we can uh, be encouraged and helped by the way that he dealt with his anxiety. So I want to give you four headings this morning, and the first heading is this. I want us to see first David's anxiety. 
I want us to see David's anxiety. Verse 1, he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And so David finds himself in distress. David finds himself in a tough situation. He's running. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. And so what David does here is he calls out to God. He cries out to God in light of how God has delivered him in the past. David was a warrior, like I said last week. He was in distress many times and in many ways, but God has always delivered David. God has always been faithful with David. Now, I think it's very interesting. We don't see this in our English translation, but the word distress there in verse 1 literally means a tight place. That's what the word distress means there in verse 1. A tight place. David felt like he was in a tight place. David felt like he was in a straitjacket. David felt like he was kind of pushed into a corner. And so that causes anxiety, doesn't it? Do you remember when you were children and uh, you played in the bounce house? You remember that? And so I don't know about you, but you remember when uh, all the kids would go to one side of the bounce house? What would, what would happen when you would go to one side of the bounce house and all of the weight shifted to one side of the bounce house. Anyone remember that? Anyone remember? Okay, some of you just are like, I've never seen a bounce house. I've never had a childhood before. I have no idea, right? Some of you are just like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. So if you didn't know, when, uh, and I was this kid, I was the kid that said, hey guys, let's all go to one side and let's all go. And so we would all shift all to the one side of the bounce house. I thought it was a great idea. It was awesome. So we all shifted to one side of the bounce house. I loved being in the corner. I loved it. And so the, the bounce house started just honestly crumbling down and everyone started, you know, freaking out. And at that point too, I started freaking out. I'm like, okay, I'm getting claustrophobic. I'm getting claustrophobic. And we couldn't get, it took forever. Finally, our parents would come and make sure that, you know, the bounce house would go back up. But I was in a corner in a tight space. I initially thought it was a good idea and I was freaking, freaking out. And so that's what David's going on. That's what David's saying here. I'm in a tight space. I'm anxious. Things, things are not going well. And he calls out, to the Lord in his distress, in his, in his anxiety, in his tight space, where he feels like he can't go anywhere, he feels like he can't move, he feels like he can't do anything, he's just stuck. Do you know how many times the word call is used in the Psalms? The word call is used 45 times times in the Psalms. 45. 45. That's an indicator, believer for you and I, that God is waiting for you to call. That God wants you to call. That your heavenly Father delights when you call. It's an invitation to call out to God in whatever situation you're going through. Call to him. Call upon the Lord. 
Believer, I don't know what you're going through this season, this summer. Maybe for you, instead of being a summer of relaxation, it's been a summer of just trial after trial, bad news after bad news. Just call upon him. He's waiting. His line is always open for you. And so that's what David does in his anxiety. When he feels tight, when he feels like he can't breathe, he calls upon the Lord. And so what David does next is very interesting. He begins to speak to his enemies through his prayer. Let me just remind you that. And as he speaks to his enemies through his prayer, in his prayer, we see the answer to his anxiety. And we see the answer, answer to your anxiety, to my anxiety as well. Second point is David's answer. I want you to see David's answer to his anxiety. Look at verse 2 and 3. He says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So now David, through his prayer and in his prayer, he's speaking to his enemies. No, they cannot hear him, but he speaks to them anyway. I like how the New Living Translation just has a better sense, an easier sense to grasp of verse 1. Let me read it to you. This is what it says. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? I mean, they were just spreading rumors about David. They were trying to ruin his reputation. I mean, these were people that were loyal to King David. These were people that David loved and protected and fought for. Put his life on the line for. And now I know this is not the main thrust of the sermon, but let me just remind you of something today based off this verse, believer. Don't be surprised when your greatest supporters become your greatest critics. Don't be surprised when your greatest supporters become your greatest critics. It happened to David. He cared for these people. He loved these people. And now they turn their back on him. Don't be surprised when your friends and family turn their backs on you. Give it to the Lord. Put your trust in him. But again, David's answer. What's, what's his answer to his anxiety? We find it in verse 3. Look in, in, in the, your Bibles with me. Verse 3, he says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. That is David's answer to his anxiety, that God has set him apart. The idea that God sets people apart really means that he has a special attention or a special affection on a person or people in order to distinguish them. I mean, you and I, we set things that, we set things apart that are precious to us, don't we? We have things of value. We have things that are precious to us that, that we set apart, that, that we care for, that we give more attention to. 
that we give more affection to, don't we? Uh, besides our family, which I'm sure we value and we set them apart and give them special affection and attention. I mean, most of us probably have something in our home of great value. And we set it apart and make sure that it's safe. And, and, and some of us actually put something in a safe. It could be a family heirloom. It could be, you know, uh, it could be a gift that you received or whatever it is. But we set things apart that are precious to us. Uh, one of the things that is most precious to me is this. If my house were to catch on fire and I had to grab one thing from my house, it would be this. It's on my bookshelf. Top left corner, the very first thing on my bookshelf. Uh, years back, my grandmother uh, gave me this Bible. She gave me this Bible. She wrote some encouragement in it. And even to this day, she, uh, she's always texting me verses. She's a, she's a woman of the word and prayer. But this is like one of the most valuable things and precious things that I have. I don't read it because, don't judge me, it's not because it's not I don't want to read the Bible. It's in the KJV version. It's going to take me forever to read the KJV version. And it's in Spanish. It's going to take me even longer, so I don't read it. But, but I, I love it. It's, it's precious to me. So we, we set apart, we care for things that are precious to us. And so God, yes, he sets us apart, believer. He sets you apart in your sanctification. You're set apart to be holy, to be different. Yes, God sets us apart to, to, uh, to, to serve him and to serve others and to spread the message of the gospel. But most importantly, and I think what David is trying to get at here is this, that God sets you and I, get, you got to get this, that, that God sets you and I for a special relationship with him. A special relationship. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at, look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You are chosen before anything was ever created. You were set apart before anything was ever created. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Look at verse 5. In love, he predestined us. To what? To adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So, so we've been set apart. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons of our heavenly Father according to what? According to our works, according to our, 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 our faith, our, according to our, our good deeds or whatever it is. No, no, no. According to the purpose of his will. It is God's sovereign grace and sovereign love that sets us apart before the foundation of the world. And God, if he has set you apart, means that you are precious to him, that he values you, that he cares for you in your own anxiety. That's the antidote, the answer for David's anxiety. I am set apart. I'm chosen. I'm cared for. I'm precious to God. Not only that, but look at the end of verse 3. The Lord hears when I call. God hears those who he sets apart. 
And last week, like I said, for God to hear is to answer. For, with God, to hear is to answer. As a first-time parent of a nine-month-old, uh, any time, look, being a girl dad, I wasn't ready for, all right? I'm just, I wasn't ready to be a girl dad. I, I just got really soft, really quick, man. Like, I really did. So anytime she cries, she makes a little sound as a first-time parent, right? I heard it was different once you have four, five, ten kids or whatever. But the first one. I mean, she cries even a little bit, and I am there just, you know, trying to make sure that she's okay, comforting her, giving her whatever she wants, you know, put, you know, just, uh, you know, just carrying her or whatever it is, but I hear her, and I don't just hear her just to, like, look at her, right? Like, all right, Ari, well, you're on your own, girl. Like, you're, you're on your own. No, I hear her. She cries, and, and I go to her, and I comfort her, and what's been happening recently, though, is she cries, and I go over there, and then she goes, yeah, and like she just starts laughing. I'm like, oh, you're, you're getting good at this, right? But man, when you cry out to God, as he sets you apart, he hears you. He runs to you. He hears you in order to answer the cry of your heart, your most anxious moment. That's who your father is. Let me ask you this, and this is something to really think through. Even during the week, I encourage you to write this down. If God has set you apart from eternity past, why do you think he will not listen to you in the present? Let me ask that again. If God has set you apart from eternity past, why do you think or doubt that he will not listen to you in the present? He will, and he does. Amen? So, David's anxiety, we see David's answer that he's set apart, he had, he's chosen by the Lord. And now what David does now is he no longer speaks to his enemies, but he actually begins to speak to those who are with him, again, in his prayer. I want you to notice David's advice. David's advice in verse 4 and 5. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And so there's a shift now in this psalm. He, he's talking to his enemies in his prayer. Now he talks to those that are with him. And I just thought it was interesting, first of all, like how, why does David go from calling out to God in his distress, in his anxiety, uh, talking to his enemies, right? And then he shifts to verse four and talks about anger. And so for a while, I was just trying to make that connection there. Like, like it, just, it just felt like it didn't connect. Like there was not a, a flow. It, it just didn't make sense to me. And I really struggled with that this week. But I come to realize this, that isn't it true that when we're in a very difficult situation, isn't it true that when we're struggling with anxiety uh, and severe anxiety or just an anxious moment that a lot of the times we feel overwhelmed, we feel stressed, uh, we feel tense, uh, we feel maybe like we can't think straight and our mind is foggy and so we can't really think well. 
And, and so when we feel overwhelmed and stressed and tense, what tends to happen? We don't respond in the best ways. You see, a lot of times anxiety, what I'm trying to say is that anxiety many times leads to anger. That anxiety leads to anger. We might not want to, but again, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed, we're worried, uh, and things are not going, again, we feel so tight, like we're just, we just can't think, we can't do anything. And then it leads to anger, whether it's anger towards people, especially the ones we love, or it's anger and resentment towards God. God, why are you letting me go through this? God, why? God, why? Now, it's okay to question God and ask him why, but it's not okay to linger in it, right? And I think that's what David is trying to get at here. He says, be angry and, and don't sin, though. And so what David is getting at here is, is, is not sinning by taking revenge when feeling angry at people or as you go through a difficult situation. You see, when, ang- when angry, don't let sin or don't let anger control your actions. Instead, what David says is ponder, be silent, lay in your bed and reflect on how God has been faithful, on who your God is, on who he is. This, this past week in our men's group, we took a significant amount of time in our men's group to really, in talking about Psalm 3, on who God is. We really reflected and meditated, and, and we, we just, I mean, God is loving. He's gracious. Uh, God will vindicate us. God is holy. God is just. He's not going to let any sin go unpunished, especially injustice against us. All of these things we meditated at our men's group. And so here David is saying, look, don't let sin, don't let your anger become sin. Don't let your anger become revenge. Instead, reflect. Paul says something very similar in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, Johnny, are you saying it's not okay to be angry? No, no, I'm not saying that. It's, it's okay to be angry. It's normal. You're, we're human beings, right? We're going to be angry when things happen. It's okay to be angry but it's not okay to be controlled by our anger. It's not okay to, to, to marinate on our anger. You see, we're controlled by our anger when we try to take things into our own hands, right? When we try to take revenge. When we try to right things that were wrong to us. I've noticed over the years that when we take things into our hands, that's when things start to get out of hand, isn't it true? Instead of trusting upon the Lord. Romans chapter 12, 17 through 21, I think it's good advice, especially if we're going through conflict, relational conflict, when we're angry, when we're anxious. It says this, repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing, for by doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We don't need to take revenge. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. All we have to do is go to bed, reflect on who God is, put everything in his hands. He's in control. Let him right our wrongs. Let your anger become adoration. Let your pain become praise and put your trust in the Lord. Lastly, I want you to see David's assurance. David's assurance, verse six through eight. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. David's assurance. So we've seen David's anxiety. We've started there. And so David started off being anxious, but he didn't stay there. He knew that he was set apart by the Lord, and he knew that he wasn't going to give in to anger. But now we see David's assurance. And so the people that are with David are essentially saying this. David, who's going to show us some good? Like, David, show us something or give us some sign that God is with us. I mean, we're on the run. Uh, we're in the wilderness. Like, give us at least a little glimpse of hope that God's still with us, that God's favor is with us. That's what they're saying here. The New Living Translation says, who will show us better times? Like, David, you know, who's going to show us better times? The, 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 how we were living before, before we were on the run, man, those were good times. Like, is there some hope that we're going to return to those good times? And so even with, within David now, he's, he's kind of struggling with those who are with him. They're doubting. Their faith is wavering. And so David says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O God. He calls out to God again. And so the light of God's face refers to divine favor for deliverance. In other words, David is calling out to God that God would show his favor on himself in those who are with him. God, show us your favor. Show us your deliverance. The words that came out of David's mouth in prayer were probably from a priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6. You've probably heard this before. Numbers chapter 6 verse 24 says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There's a connection there between this priestly prayer and blessing on the people and David's prayer himself. But notice also here that David looks back once again. Didn't we see that last week as well? David always looking back to God's past faithfulness. He says in verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. This statement is past tense. So David is now looking in the past and says, God, in the past you have put joy in my heart. 
joy that is unlike any other. So David had joy before going through this difficult season. It's past tense. God, you've, you've put joy in my heart in the past. And so I think what that tells us is this, that David, even as he was struggling with anxiety, even as he was in distress, even, that, even when he was running away in the wilderness, he was full of joy. You have put joy in my heart. And that joy that's in my heart, I still have in my heart. And so I think what that means for us is this, that, man, the joy of the Lord is our strength, isn't it? The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord doesn't mean that everything's going to be fine and dandy. The joy of the Lord means that he's going to get us through those difficult situations. That somehow, some way, we can maybe feel anxious and joyful at the same time while trusting in God. And he compares it to a, a farmer. He says, I have more joy than a farmer who has abounding wine and abounding grain. I mean, think about that for a second. D during those ancient times, it would, it, I can't imagine how hard it would be to produce grain. I can't imagine how hard it would be to produce wine. And think about the years where there was a drought or a famine, it didn't rain. But man, think about how a farmer would feel when there was a bounty, a bounty of harvest. Think about how the joy they experienced. Think about the happiness they felt. And David says, I have more joy than a farmer who has an overflow of crops. The world church could have money. The world could have cars and houses and a career and all of these things and still be broke. But you, believers, have the joy of the Lord. And that you can't purchase. That you can't buy. That joy of the Lord only comes from God and those who are in him. Briefly, I also want to just point out this. That before God changed David's circumstance, because he did, he changed David first. You notice that? Before God changed David's circumstance, he changed David first. He put joy in David's heart first while he was on the run, or even before he's on the run. He didn't change his circumstance until way later, but he changed David. I'll put my joy in you. I'll cause you to rely on me more. I'll cause you to call out to me more and seek me like you've never done before. And that, my friends, is a blessing because a lot of the times when God changes our circumstance first, we don't change. Isn't that true? But when he changes us first and then our circumstance second, there is a dependency, a, 
a grit that you just have to go after God. That's what he did with Dave. So if God doesn't change your circumstance right now, today, tomorrow, next week, a month from now, guess what? He's changing you. And isn't that what the life of believers is all about? To be changed? To be conformed to the image of Christ? Not to have an easy life? Not to kick back, sit on a lazy boy and retire? But to look more like Jesus every day. And a lot of the times, if you've been around a while, you know that the way to look more like Jesus is through suffering and pain. Welcome it. Don't run from it. But I love how David ends. He says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Assurance. Right there. Assurance. He begins with anxiety. He ends with assurance. God, I am safe in your arms. You have set me apart. You make me dwell in safety. I have joy. I have assurance. And so now I'm going to sleep well at night because I know you're in control, because I know you set me apart, because I know that when I call you, you hear, and you hear to answer. But I love what David says, for you alone, O Lord, alone, for you alone, O Lord, only you, God, this is what he's saying, only you, God, can make me dwell in safety. Nothing else, no one else, not a person, not material possessions, not a job, not the economy, not, a, not politics or our government. Only the Lord can make us dwell in safety. Only the Lord. I want to end by sharing two things. First, if I could put this psalm again. I, I try to be simple, especially for me. I just try to simplify things. I know if it's simple for me, you'll, you'll understand it. Here's how I would put Psalm 4. There are many causes for our anxiety, but there's only one cure for our anxiety, and that's God. There are many causes for our anxiety. Physical health is deteriorating. Family conflict, friend conflict. A wayward son or daughter. Stress, a job. All kinds of reasons for our anxiety and causes. But there's only one cure. What I love about the believer, what I love about being a Christian is we don't have to go look for the cure. It's not in a self-help book. It's not in more money. It's not in any of those things. We don't have to look because it's in God. 
himself. There are many causes for anxiety, but only one cure, and that's God. Secondly, I want to end with this. There's something about studying church history that just lights a fire in me. There's something about church history that just encourages me and breathes new light in me. I want to tell you a brief story of a guy by the name of Nicholas Ridley. You see, in 1553, Queen Mary ascended the throne of England. Queen Mary was not a good lady, not a good woman. Automatically, she began to kill Christians for their faith, for going against the Catholic Church. Most of the time, the way that she would kill them was she would burn them at the stake. She would light them on fire for everyone to see. Well, Queen Mary became known as Bloody Mary. And so one of those men who she burned at the stake was Nicholas Ridley, the Bishop of London. In September of 1855, Ridley, along with others, were taken to Oxford so they could recant their beliefs. So they they could recant their doctrine. And of course, they didn't. No way. No way. Burn me. Go ahead and burn me. So, on the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to comfort him, to be with him those last moments, to offer support. I mean, what would... What would you have felt like knowing that you're going to wake, you're going to go to sleep, you're going to wake up, and they're going to light you on fire? Nicholas Ridley declined his brother staying with him. And this is what he said. He said, I intend, God willing, to go to bed and sleep as quietly tonight as I ever did. That's what he said. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to sleep quietly. I have peace. I have assurance. I have comfort. I don't live for this world. The Lord will sustain me. He will strengthen me. I have assurance. Believer, give it to the Lord. Go to bed. He'll take care of you. Will you stand with me today? I want to I want to read to you and bless you this morning from that passage in Numbers chapter 6. Let us pray. I want to pray this over you. To the people of restoration this morning, the Lord 
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.